This would be done through psychological techniques that would control the unconscious feelings of the masses. We'll wrap up this look at Edward Bernays, the father of modern PR, propaganda, and advertising, next week. One thing we can do is look at how ads and political propaganda manipulate low-level subconscious desires and animal drives. The more you can decipher the code, the less it can affect you. Remember, the Masters of Deception website is at www.wcbn.org mod. You'll find links to all our previous shows, as well as to the examples used in this show. The entire BBC documentary can be viewed on the internet, and I recommend that you do so. Masters of Deception, produced at WCBN FM Ann Arbor. The views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the hosts, Alex Sergey, and not necessarily the station or the University of Michigan, from whom we gratefully receive our license to broadcast. See the Warriors on Tuesday, August 14th at Live at PJ's 102 South 1st, 10 p.m. with doors opening at 9. Hosted by WCBN FM and No reason. I just like doing things like that. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim DeWire. And we're down in the studio this evening due to some technical difficulties with Prade. 
Prod A. Well, I just want to quickly make a brief comment about Barry Bonds. Uh, very interesting from a recent Harper's Index. Percentage changed since 1999 in Barry Bonds' shoe size and jersey size. 24% and 18%. Now, I've heard of guys' upper bodies getting bigger uh, when you get in your 30s, but your feet? Uh, that is weird. Um and let's remember one important thing. Uh, Bonds may have used steroids. We don't know. It does seem like he did. But uh, he would have been in the Hall of Fame regardless. The tragedy of Barry Bonds is that he was a guy that didn't need to cheat. He's uh, one of the greatest players that's ever played. And if all the reports are correct, he just got jealous of what went on in 1998 between McGuire and Sosa. And if you look at his statistics, there's only one abnormal year uh, that's, shall we say, a big uh, deviation from the norm. And that was the year where he set the major league record of uh, the most homers in a season, surpassing Mark McGuire's record. Um, so hopefully Major League Baseball will come out with a real investigation on this matter, get to the bottom of it, and sort it out. But uh, Barry Bonds belongs in the Hall of Fame, and... Mark McGuire probably doesn't, because Bonds was a great player in other areas of uh, baseball uh, skill. Maybe there should just be an entire steroid wing of the hall. They could do that. Um, Sparky Anderson, who used to coach, manage the Detroit Tigers and Cincinnati Reds, I think he won a total of three World Series, I think made a pretty wise comment on the matter. He said, look, uh, it wasn't a banned substance. It wasn't illegal. It's cheating because it is a performance-enhancing uh, substance. For instance, Ben Johnson, the Canadian sprinter, mm. uh, was stripped of his gold medal uh, in Seoul, South Korea in 88, and Carl Lewis won the gold as a result because uh, he was caught using a banned steroid substance. Right. So uh, we'll leave uh, the Barry Bonds uh, debate to the sports experts uh, the other important thing is, uh, since he set these home run records back in uh, the early part of this decade, the single-season home run record and now this one, teams have pitched around him enormously. I mean, you have to give the guy credit when he walks 200 times a season. He was once walked, by the way, with the bases loaded uh, late in the game uh, with two outs in the ninth. Uh, the manager was up something like 9-7, to seven, and he preferred to walk in a run rather than face Barry Bonds. So um, bat speed is what it's all about. I personally think Bonds did use steroids. That's quite clear. And other players uh, have been linked to steroids, including a couple of current Detroit Tigers. So uh, we'll see what... But not Maglio or Downias and not uh, uh, Ozzie Guillen. It's uh, Sheffield and Yvonne Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, turning our attention from steroids to hemorrhoids, Karl Rove, America's hemorrhoid, has left the White House. This must be a breaking story. <laughs> yeah, uh, news uh, emerged today that he is uh, resigning, uh, wants to be, quote, closer to his family. That's what they always say. Yeah. And really that means it's getting a little uncomfortable around here. Right. I'm sure that uh, his college aged son is delighted that he's going to be <laughs> closer to him down there in uh, Texas. Jeez, that's great, Dad. Yeah. Why don't you come up and visit me at the dorm? God. Carl Rove. Um, 
He's been called Bush's brain. Uh, that's a pretty scary thought. Uh, Karl Rove, I think, will uh, ultimately be linked to two uh, very important uh, strategic decisions regarding uh, Bush's uh, presidency. I really doubt this so-called permanent Republican majority concept. I don't think that's going anywhere. But it's very important to remember that the Iraq war resolution was pushed through Congress right before the congressional elections in 2004. And then in 2000, uh, excuse me, in the congressional elections of 2002. And then in 2004, um, he was the architect of the ballot proposals in, I think, nearly a dozen states in which gay marriage right. was brought up. And that brought out, quote, the hardline fundamentalists. The fundamentalists. The haters. The haters, as Bush would call them. <laughs> no, he would call them his constituency. <laughs> yeah, his base. But I think people around here would call them haters. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the base, is the, if uh, you can call it that. So we'll just give Carl uh, Rove a brain damage award for existing. Um, He's one of those guys who, I, you know, and there's still time left on the Bush administration. I mean, Gonzalez is, has not yet bit the dust. No. Any number of other possible ways in which Carl Rove's, I mean, how he was able to avoid any uh, really intense scrutiny over the uh, plume, uh, plume affair. Yeah. Is remarkable. Uh, I think he was treated very generously uh, by the mainstream media, who should have scrutinized his participation and all of that a little bit more closely. But he strikes me as one of those guys. You can just see that since the Reagan administration, there's been a political trend amongst Republicans to roll back the 1960s. Mm -hmm. All of the progressive social changes that occurred with regards to civil rights, you know, women's rights, uh, gay rights, environmentalism, um, all these sorts of positive things that most of us here in the Ann Arbor area celebrate and enjoy and embrace, um, a lot of people uh, were really afraid about these positive changes, this opening up of a previously much more restrictive society. And uh, Carl Rove is one of those guys who was probably in college in the 60s and just, I hate these people, these crazy crazy music and their pot smoking. Mm -hmm. And look at that, that girl's going out with a black man. You know, she's she's got no business doing that. No. She's white. Uh, you just, you know, he would never articulate this now, but you just get the sense that that's his background. Well, I think Bush and Rove's uh, connection, so to speak, uh, rests in the in, in the word simpering, you know, this. <laughs> The smile, the smirk. Yeah. They both have it. So in honor of Carl Rove and what did he call him today? My dear friend. My dear friend. Um, and and I'll, I'll give Carl Rove another brain damage award for his preposterous, um, I don't know, emotional press conference today in which he was exhilarated about the um, fact that Bush had uh, ushered in what did what did he call it? Uh, he, I mean, I'm I'm paraphrasing here because I I didn't write write down the important uh, phrase about the he prepared America for war. He put America on a war footing, and these times have been exhilarating. Was the word he used? Good lord! So to Rove and uh, George Bush, uh, simper Fidelis. 
<laughs> well, if Rove is resigning and he's been called Bush's brain, well, then it's official. Bush has no brain. Right. And uh, I'm sure that Rove will still play uh, uh, an influential, uh, non-official role uh, from Texas while he spends more time with his family uh, advising the president on uh, how to stay the course in Iraq and uh, keep... Uh, Keep these times exhilarating for everyone. <laughs> yes, they're quite exhilarating indeed. And it's an exhilarating time uh, to be Nicholas Sarkozy and uh, join Bush on vacation up in Kenny Bunkport there. And uh, this is my favorite quote of the week from Bush about his uh, conversation with uh, Sarkozy, apparently much of which took place on a high-speed boat, mm -hmm. which was being driven by Bush Sr., um, if you've ever been in a high-speed boat, you'll know that it's not really the best place to have a intimate conversation. <laughs> Who knows how much drinking's involved? Anyways, here's the quote. We have had good disagreements on Iraq in particular, but I never allowed disagreements to not find other ways to work together. Okay. Okay, there's language missing there, but that's the quote as uttered, and I'm not really sure if... You know, anybody even bothers anymore <laughs> to point these things out. Well, yeah, and and what uh, Bush expects of Sarkozy with respect to Iraq is uh, mysterious. Yeah, I mean, France isn't going to get involved in Iraq certainly now. Certainly not. They know it's a uh, <clears throat> a misadventure. Uh, Juan Cole, by the way, the professor here at U of M, made some important comments last week about the fact that the as he puts it, the Maliki government is effectively uh, bankrupt, mm -hmm. uh, doesn't exist, and uh, there are continuing uh, political problems with the situation in Iraq that uh, will not go away. I guess we can also give Bush a brain damage award for simply questioning um, the efficacy of... Uh, a five-cent gas hike that's been proposed to deal with infrastructure problems. Uh, this has been talked about the last several weeks since the uh, steam pipe incident in Manhattan and the bridge uh, in Minneapolis uh, that uh, I think as the uh, <clears throat> experts point out, uh, there's something like uh, one, well, let's see. Various estimates on this, but $1.6 trillion um, has been estimated by the American Society of Civil Engineers uh, to be needs to be spent over the next five years um, to repair infrastructure. Um, and this is uh, even in areas of uh, keeping uh, drinking water clean, $541 billion to rebuild uh, wastewater over the next 20 years? Yeah, if we can't find the money to have clean yeah. drinking water here, then we are officially no longer part of the first world. Yeah, and for Bush to question um, <clears throat> such a modest increase in the federal gas taxes with the, uh, as he puts it, before we raise taxes, which would affect economic growth, I would strongly urge the Congress to examine how they set priorities. Well, the man is uh, is clueless about economics, obviously. Um, raising taxes on gas that is then dedicated to infrastructure 
rehabilitation, building, whatever, creates jobs. Right. It doesn't affect growth. I mean, that's just nonsense. Um, it's well. The, the, the old, question is the priorities. You know, yeah. what, what, why are we willing to spend one hundred and forty? Seven billion dollars in uh, it's his priorities that yeah. are uh, questionable. Where we're un- unhappily not even uh, doing much to 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 do anything for Iraq's infrastructure, right? Uh, Advanced, you, even stated aims. So I mean, when you as those are, you hear reports that many Iraqis have been without water for weeks in 115 degree heat. Imagine this, or that the power grid. Uh, in Iraq is uh, in the worst shape it's been in since before the war started. It's Bush's priorities that are all mixed up, and uh, he just doesn't understand um, the essential well, modesty of this proposal. Right. And, and a five-cent tax on gas. I mean, <laughs> we've talked before about prices of gas in America relative to European prices, mm-hmm. where it's heavily taxed, and you're basically paying about you know $4 a quart. Um, and, you know, as a result, they have a, uh, you know, pretty smoothly running uh, public transport system, uh, all sorts of things. Um, and in many countries, by the way, that, that gas tax pays for health care. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Which we're seeing more and more is uh, increasingly, for instance, keeping American auto uh, manufacturers at an incredible disadvantage yeah. uh, with respect to the Japanese and the Germans in particular. Well, this always reminds me of the uh, great quote by uh, Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, who mm-hmm. said, I don't mind paying taxes. That's how I buy civilization. Yeah, It's it's kind of a package deal. And actually, uh, uh, Congressman Dingell, who has been uh, criticized by some uh, environmentalist groups for not doing enough to uh, help the uh, emissions uh, standards out of Detroit, recently spoke in Ann Arbor and is talking about an ultimate goal of a gas tax increase of up to 50 cents a gallon, mm-hmm. which a lot of people are probably going to say, oh, well, that's unreasonable. But again, if that money is properly directed, it could provide a number of uh, services and even jobs. And uh, the point that Dingle makes is that until you affect human behavior, uh, you, you're not going to really make any social changes. And if gas becomes so expensive that you think twice about, well, am I walking to Kroger's mm-hmm. or am I driving to Kroger's? Or riding my bike. Or riding my bike. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, uh, these are options, you know, that, that we have to kind of encourage people to actually just consume less. And as far as, you know, five cents is too much. It's going to cripple the economy. Well, Bush didn't have any complaints when the gas prices went up to Mm-hmm. Over three dollars sure. on petrol that had already been processed before the price of oil per barrel went up to the point that required the modification in prices. So that was pure profit for the uh, petrochemical companies. Yeah, and and, and needless no to say, uh, if you look at the price of oil globally, um, it's almost tripled since Bush decided to invade yeah. Iraq. So the notion uh, that a five cent, first of all, a five cent gas tax would not impact. Uh, quote behavior at all Um, people would just eat the cost but if you're going to direct the money to uh, constructive uh, infrastructure uh, enhancement repair whatever uh, and even projects themselves uh, you're not going to cripple the economy to quote bush that's just ludicrous well and another thing that comes to mind is doing some uh, highway driving this last week vacationing here in our lovely peninsular state Um, why it's never really seriously given any uh, thought 
to the construction of a light commuter rail. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all this work being done on 94. It's been going on all summer. Why isn't there a commuter rail just, you know, aside from Amtrak, just f- from Jackson to Detroit, Jackson to Detroit, with all the stops in between? So many people are uh, making that commute. It makes good sense to build that system, and with a 5 to $0.50 cent, uh, tax on gasoline, you've got the money for it. So there's just no will. No will, uh, just George will. <laughs> and he's not cutting it. He isn't. Uh, of course, uh, the last couple of weeks we've seen some unusually hot weather here in Michigan. doesn't get this humid this often for this long. But uh, just uh, last week, uh, and yet another study, and this this is uh, relevant because of the recent uh, Soviet uh, submarine probe to the uh, Arctic uh, bottom of the Arctic Ocean, where they uh, dropped a, uh, a a titanium flagpole. <laughs> yeah, they have planted a Russian flag on the seabed at the North Pole. Uh, interesting stuff because it's uh, provoked uh, some, shall we say, uh, public responses from both uh, Denmark, the United States, and Canada regarding the future of the Arctic. But anyway, uh, Andrew Revkin, uh, just last week, who's a sort of regular uh, science uh, reporter, um, has reported that the area for the New York Times uh, of floating ice in the Arctic has shrunk more this summer than in any summer since satellite tracking began in 1979. And it has reached a record point a month before the annual ice pullback typically peaks. The cause is probably... He writes, a mix of natural fluctuations like unusually sunny conditions in June and July. I don't know how unusual the sunny conditions are given uh, how the Earth rotates. And the long-term warming from heat-trapping greenhouse gases and sooty particles. William Chapman, who monitors the region at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, posted a web report on the ice retreat. And said, quote, uh, the melting rate during June and July this year was simply incredible, unquote. And you've got this exposed black ocean soaking up sunlight, and you wonder what, if anything, could cause it to reverse itself. So that's what's going on up there. Um, Another uh, weather expert. Dr. Cerisi said that the high-pressure system parked over the Arctic appeared to have caused a, quote, triple whammy, keeping away clouds, causing winds to carry warm air north, and pushing sea ice away from Siberia, exposing huge areas to open water. In today's New York Times, or Ann Arbor News, by the way, there's a really interesting article, and I didn't bring it in, but I I briefly scanned it uh, before coming in, about the um, palpable uh, retreat of a glacier in Greenland that's retreated two miles uh, in the last uh, 70 years. Unbelievable stuff. So uh, we're getting more melting everywhere around the world, and there is yet to be any scientific evidence uh, to refute global warming other than some nonsense about the troposphere being slightly cooler uh, what on earth the atmosphere 50 miles above the earth has anything to do with global cooling, which obviously is not occurring. Uh, well, Eskimos are now uh, purchasing air conditioning units, so that's 
That's scary. That's a little scary, yeah. It's only going to fuel the problem, but yeah, it's hard to visualize this stuff. I think this is part of the problem, is that people think, you know, two miles of ice, and, and maybe you picture like two miles of a cornfield or two miles of open road, but it's not that kind of ice. It's glacial ice. Yeah. It's, it's sometimes two miles thick. Right. I mean, I've been to Alaska and have seen glacial fields and have actually seen big chunks of them calve off and crash into the sea. This stuff is huge. It's taller than houses. Yeah. And so to, to think about that much ice receding, it's really quite mind-blowing. And um, this, of course, is documented all around the globe, including uh, the Andes, Patagonia, uh, the Swiss-Austrian Alps, uh, parts of the Himalayas. There isn't anywhere where the ice is really increasing. Except maybe around Dick Cheney's heart. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, in fact, went and pulled out a map. I've got this old National Geographic map from March 1990 of the Soviet Union. So it's not terribly accurate politically. But it's interesting if you look up at the northern reaches of the map here, uh, at the edge of what was in 1990 recognized as Soviet sovereign space, although sovereign space is a somewhat nebulous concept these days, as uh, some presidential debates have uh, revealed. Uh, there is a blue line here drawn uh, that indicates the limit of multi-year ice. This has changed. <laughs> and so as a result, I mean, the Soviet Union is now sinking flags and claiming these, you know, uh, seabed as sovereign territory, just simply for the resource uh, harvesting which can occur there. Uh, the cover story in the brand new Harper's Magazine, which has arrived uh, to subscribers, probably hit the newsstands next week, uh, could not be more timely. It's an article by Mackenzie Funk entitled Cold Rush, The Coming Fight for the Melting North. Uh, because, of course, uh, Stephen Harper, the Canadian Prime Minister, in this same article by uh, Revkin, is quoted as saying at the very end of the article uh, that uh, he plans a tour of Canada's Arctic holdings, pledging to vigorously protect our Arctic sovereignty as international interest in the region increases. Denmark is going to be getting in on the action, and then in this Funk article in the Harper's, there's a sort of a sarcastically humorous quote here in which uh, a Canadian uh, says, quote, we should just nuke Denmark, he said. He was <laughs> kidding, of course. Canada has no nuclear weapons. But the experts have been saying for years about how future wars will be fought over water. Um, this is not necessarily over water because it's still about access to uh, fossil fuels beneath. But... Uh, and needless to say, it is important to remember that the ice in the Arctic does not contribute to rising sea levels globally. It's the ice in Antarctica that's important, and of course glaciers um, such, that, such as they have in Greenland. There have been some amazing uh, forecasts of what Florida may look like in 100 or 150 years from now uh, if uh, most of Greenland melts. Uh, it's a scary <laughs> scenario. Um, buy land in Orlando and forget about Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> Miami Beach uh, will not exist. And the Miami Dolphins um, football team will... Be actually Dolphins. Dolphins playing polo. <laughs> uh, with Bush family skulls. Uh, 
Speaking of Russians and uh, paranoia about encroachment, this was a really strange little article that appeared uh, over the weekend in the In Brief section, items which are usually deserving of much more detail but are tantalizingly in brief. And this one is entitled, Admiral, Russians Never Near Guam. Dateline Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. The U.S. Pacific Fleet commander said Thursday Russian bombers never got within 300 miles of Guam this week and didn't fly over the U.S. territory, as a Russian Air Force general claimed. Navy Admiral Robert Willard said the Russian aircraft never got close enough to the Pacific Island or the massive U.S. military exercises being held nearby to warrant interception. Earlier, a Russian Air Force general said the pair of uh, 295, that's TU, uh, 95 bombers reached Guam as part of an exercise intended to demonstrate the Kremlin's resurgent military power. The general said the bombers' crews smiled at the pilots of the U.S. fighter jets scrambled to intercept them. Who's lying here? <laughs> you know, you'd like to think, oh, the Russians are lying, but it's just as probable that the Navy is lying. Uh What's most interesting to me is that massive U.S. military exercises are going on in the Pacific. No surprise there. These are not free. These are not cheap. And um, these are part of an exercise intended to demonstrate not the Kremlin's resurgent military power, but our own. And it's not resurgent, of course, but I think it's it's meant to show that we still have a Navy that is... <laughs> Not in play in Iraq. So don't mess with us. Yeah. But luckily, the overall commander in charge of the Iraq war now is a naval expert. Indeed. I don't know if you saw this bizarre item about the armless man, the the, the, the driving incident. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is just so bizarre. Yeah. Uh, Gray Matters always has these sorts of <clears throat> weird things from America. It says a man with no arms and one leg who wouldn't stop driving despite a long list of traffic uh, violations, was sentenced to five years in prison uh, a couple of Fridays ago on felony driving charges. It says that it goes into the various problems that he's had with uh, <laughs> drugs and whatnot, and he admitted what he did was uh, wrong. It says Wiley taught himself to drive after losing both arms and a leg in an electrical accident when he was 13. Uh, he once had a valid license, but it has been suspended several times since 1985. He starts the car with his toes, shifts with his knee, and steers with the stump of his left arm. He turns the light on with his teeth. Unbelievable. Um, How does he talk on the cell phone while he's driving? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it goes into the fact that... Uh, he he shouldn't, of course. Apparently I had a uh, high-speed uh, chase uh, in his Ford Explo uh, Explorer when the police approached him at a convenience store, and the officers called off the chase after eight minutes because they didn't want to put, you know, uh, the public in... Um, in uh, jeopardy there, he's uh, defense attorney John Hooker pleaded for leniency and a minimum sentence of two and a half years. Uh, he cited his client's need for treatment for his many physical and mental health problems, including anxiety, panic attacks, depression, and pain disorders relating to his amputations. In a recent interview with the Associated Press, Wiley said he's done driving. <laughs> 
Now, when you mentioned earlier, the article doesn't detail uh, that his driver's license had been suspended. Repeatedly. Repeatedly. Yeah. I wonder, was that for, like, moving violations <laughs> or for the simple recognition of the fact that, dude, you've got one leg. How is this car going? Yeah, no offense. Very, but, uh, uh, that's very not, scary. Not good. Uh, well, I have another short 